You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Well, uh, welcome to those who are with us online, to those who are here in person. My name's Brian, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. I'm glad that we're uh, together in worship this morning. Uh, and this morning, as we're in the summer, we are beginning together a new sermon series. So if you'll uh, take me to that one there. Uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Hosea. Uh, Hosea. And we're going to get into what that's about um, but to really set the stage for this book, I want to take you to, uh, to the streets of America. Uh, how many of you remember uh, the streets of America from Hollywood studio days? It's gone now, right? Okay. The idea there, if you weren't familiar with it, was it was kind of this backlot area at Hollywood Studios. Someone smarter than me can tell me what it's been replaced by. Star Wars? Oh, okay, that's a good trade-out. <laughs> okay, is it? Okay. And so the idea there was there was this kind of streets of America, so it was supposed to be kind of a filming lot. They could theoretically film a movie there, and it could be New York or um, Chicago or San Francisco, as you can see there in the background. Um, But of course, it was no secret to any of us who visited and everyone who was there, here's another shot of it, um, that everything there uh, was fake. And so uh, on the next one there, if you'll take me to that one, uh, you can see that there are... Uh, that there's um, some scaffolding behind it. And so evidently everything here is fake. And so you can see the scaffolding. It was understood that this was kind of a movie prop and a working set. Um, And so all of these were fake sets. They were fake scenes. And to really, this to me becomes the perfect picture as we begin to look at the book of Hosea. You've got these streets that on one side, these these perspectives on one side that that look like everything is together and it's a cityscape, but it's very obvious to everyone in the book of Hosea that things are not quite as they seem. So I want to invite you over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the book of Hosea for three weeks to keep this image in mind because it'll help us to understand what the prophet is talking about and quite frankly what God is so frustrated about, but also how we can begin to change that. Uh, So I want to use the word foe, uh, mostly because it's fun to write out, but also because I think it really captures the idea that we're looking at. So when something is, is faux, it, it's just a French way of saying fake. But it sounds fancy, right? So something is faux that is not real, but made to look real. And we've got a lot of these things now, so you can go and buy a faux diamond, which sounds a lot nicer than just saying a fake diamond. It, it's not a diamond at all. It's fake, right? And those are the challenges that we're facing here in Hosea. They've kind of dressed up their piety. They've dressed up their, uh, their faith. And they're pretending. And they think that they've got some people fooled and maybe that they've got God fooled. But of course they don't. Uh, and so what we're looking at today is we're beginning a new book. And part of what we've done this year is to try to take a slower track through the books of the Bible to focus on some of the genres in particular, and to hopefully gather together a deeper sense of the overall message of Scripture. Uh, So we began the year in Genesis. We just finished up Isaiah, and now we're moving into Hosea. Uh, And Hosea is categorized as one of the minor prophets. And you may think, well, like, why why aren't they important? The, The name itself is a little bit of a confusion for us because we think, you know, major prophet, major message, minor prophet, like minor leagues, right? They're, like this is like the farm team that they may call up one day to the big leagues. Uh, but the truth is, is they were only called minor because the books were shorter. 
so for example, Isaiah and some of the others have 60-some chapters. Uh, Hosea has 14, and they become even less as we continue on down the line. And so it's not that they weren't important. It was just that they were, they were shorter. Uh, and so in the Hebrew literature, these were understood as uh, the book of the 12, kind of 12 collected sayings that were oftentimes put together. So as we go through this, I don't want you to think that this message is any less. I just want you to hear that it's part of a whole. Uh, and just to remind us where we are on the timeline, I understand that you can't see all of this. What I really wanted to mention was that after King David, uh, the monarchy, the unity of Israel, is divided into two. And so we get a northern kingdom, and we get a southern kingdom. And there's a group of prophets like Isaiah who speak to the southern kingdom, but Hosea is one of the prophets who speaks to the northern kingdom. And so in terms of timeline, a lot of the challenges that the people were facing that Isaiah deals with are the same challenges that they're facing in Hosea. Um, Hosea shows up kind of right about in the same time. So they're still dealing with the Assyrians who are trying to uh, either take their land or kind of woo them into being a servant of them. They're still dealing with a lot of those outside pressures pushing in. And so I want to set the scene that way and give us a sense of that, because what we see in Hosea, just like the streets of America in Hollywood Studios, is that the streets of Israel have this faux faith, where everything seems to look good, and maybe their performances are well done, and their religion seems like they're checking off all the boxes. But the problem is, is that their faith is fake, Maybe a better word to put on it that, that makes sense to us today is their, their faith wasn't authentic. It was a performance that they were putting on. And what we see in this book is that that's not what God has in mind for them or for us or for anyone. Uh, and so what we're going to begin with here is uh, just kind of a, a getting into it. So we're going to begin at, at verse 1, uh, chapter 2. We're going to read through a couple of verses together, uh, and I want to highlight a couple of things. And so it begins here... <laughs> And this is where Hosea gets pretty wild from the outset. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a prostitute, and have children of prostitution. For the people of the land commit great prostitution by deserting the Lord. That's like three prostitutions in one verse at the opening of the book. Right? Like something is significant here. And I hope that that at least shocks us a little bit because it would have shocked them a lot it probably wasn't Hosea's five-year life plan, right? If he was to lay out for himself kind of the timeline of how his life would unfold as a, as a prophet of God, it probably didn't include going and marrying a prostitute, having children from that arrangement, and then using that as a metaphor for the land. I would have said, can we just say that we did this, God, but like not have to do this? Because for Hosea, this would have meant that any reputation that he would have built up would have been automatically undermined by that relationship. We'll talk about that a little bit more. But part of what surprises me as I read this verse is the way God builds this charge. This is kind of a legal charge against the people of Israel. And what's interesting to me is that when God offers this, he doesn't say, I'm upset because you broke the law. We might have expected that. We know of the Ten Commandments, and we know that the Old Testament is filled with uh, hundreds and hundreds of these laws that have to be followed. And it's surprising to me that it's not a charge of law-breaking. 
But the charge of, of here, of deserting the Lord, is a charge of a broken relationship. That's what God is concerned about. Not so much the laws, but the relationship. And so what I want us to see early on as we begin this book, with all of its colorful language and all the ways that it really works this metaphor in here, is that God's real frustration is that they have deserted him. That they have walked out on God. That they have cheated on God. That they have broken up with God. That they have deserted him. And that's why God's heart is broken, is because of this relationship that was there that has been separated, right? And so I want to invite us to think about this in terms of that. And as we look at the book of Hosea over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at three different ways that Israel has broken this relationship with God. This week we'll talk about how they'd broken their personal, their their kind of one-to-one relationship. Next week we'll talk about how they had broken their relationship with God as, as a worshiping, as a covenant community together. And then we'll look at how also God's charge to them is, you've broken your relationship with the land. And part of God's frustration is not just interpersonal and and human. It's because they haven't cared for creation, the created order, the natural world. And so we'll look at how that has gotten out of whack too. But what I hope we can see in each one of these is that God's intention isn't just to tell us everything that we did wrong, but to give us a path back home. And again, that's the real surprise in this passage is that they have deserted God and God is hurt. But it becomes surprising if we think about the relationships that we see in the world today, in our own lives too, of what God decides to do. And so part of what Israel is facing and part of the ways they have deserted God, because that would have been a surprise to them, because they might have said, like we're doing everything you asked us to do. We're, we're keeping the laws and we're, we're going to worship and we're doing the sacrifices. But part of the problems that we see is that they're struggling with, with idol worship. I always love the play on words there. It's, it's idol, I-D-O-L, like an idol. Think of like Indiana Jones. But I always love the, the I-D-L-E kind of English play on words there of, of idol worship that really just takes them nowhere. And the way that they had given in to idol worship is that they had basically not given credit to God for all the good things that they had in their life. They were having these harvests and these grain harvests and these, these things come together for their food, and they were giving credit to the neighbor's gods and saying, that Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal, God, over there, made all this come to pass for us, and we're so thankful. And then we're going to go to church, synagogue on Sunday, and, and thank God too. They had kind of divided their loyalty and said, we'll take our God, but we'd love to take your God too, neighbor, and we'd love to take this neighbor's God too, and we'd, we'd kind of like to get as many gods on our side as we can. Right? We might, if you're a financial person, you might say, well, they were just trying to diversify their portfolio. Right? And that makes a lot of financial sense. But in terms of their ultimate loyalty, of who they will serve and who is provided for them, they've divided their portfolio out and they've basically taken what God has given to them and and thanked others for it. And so maybe what we see here in this isn't that they just decided to turn away from God. It wasn't that they knowingly and uh, 
maybe in a duplicitous way, turned away from God. It was almost just like they had wandered in other directions and didn't even realize how far they had gotten away. You see, as I've read Hosea, what I think their basic problem was wasn't that they hated God, right? Sometimes we think the opposite of love is hate. It wasn't that they hated God. It was that they had become apathetic towards God. And sometimes that's easier to deal with if there's love versus hate. We can see those obvious differences. But apathy, and I think if we look at it this way and we look at it through the lens we read Hosea as a struggle of apathy, maybe then we can relate more too. Because as we live life and we go through seasons and as we go through these times, it's not that we don't love God any less. It's not that we hate God. It's just that we get busy and perhaps we get apathetic and we think, you know, maybe... Maybe I'm able to provide a lot of the things I need for myself. And we do. But who becomes the ultimate source of that? And so slowly and surely we kind of give away our thankfulness to others and to other things. I like the way that uh, Brian Russell puts it in one of his books. He says, the opposite of love isn't hate, but indifference. And so that can become one of the watch words and watch themes as we look through this book is, is just indifference and apathy. I think that's a real problem for each of us today if we're honest with ourselves. Is this just kind of, we're not hot, but we're not cold. We're just kind of like lukewarm right in the middle to use some of the New Testament language. And so I want to show us how God feels about that. So let's uh, continue reading. If you're following along, we'll look at Hosea chapter 1, verse 3 this morning through 9. We'll hear a little bit more of uh, how Hosea, despite how he might have felt, followed the instructions. So Hosea went and took Gomer, Dibliam's daughter, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, name him Jezreel. Now, a lot of, a lot of Hosea are these word plays, and Hosea's writing loves word plays. They just don't translate as well to English, but the Hebrew audience would have captured all those, like, like idol worship and idol worship. And so Jezreel is a play on words in Hebrew for Israel. They would have all gotten that. So it's kind of God's way of saying, like, have a kid, name him Israel. Israel, like, this is you in the story, right? For in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will destroy the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the Jezreel Valley. Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to a daughter, Then the Lord said to Hosea, name her no compassion. That's a rough name for a kid, right? My name's Brian. I got called Brain as a kid. Sometimes that shouldn't have been an insult, but sometimes it felt like it. The name, in a time when your name meant everything, her name was no compassion. Because I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel and forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah. I, the Lord their God, will save them. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When Gomer finished nursing no compassion, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. It's not going to be a great name, ready? Then the Lord said, name him not my people, because you are not my people and I'm not your God. And those names are harsh, right? First one, Israel, just so we get that we're talking about the people. And then to Hosea, these are real children, right? But, but name them for the purpose of teaching the nation, no compassion and no longer my people. 
And I think what we can see in this, if we look at this from, from God's perspective, is that God is basically hurt. Think about the relationships that you have been in or are in when something has gone dramatically wrong. And we can begin to understand that kind of hurt, that level of relational hurt. And that's what God is saying to him, is I care about you so much, not about the laws, that it hurts this much that you have kind of gone away from me. And so he gives them these names that basically are God saying, like, look, look, I'm done with you. We've tried this whole, like, I will be your God, you will be my people. I'm being your God, you're not being my people. And it just feels like God saying to them, like, I'm done like, washing my hands, walking away, we'll try a different method. And what we see here is that the people are, are professing their allegiance to God, they're, but they're ignoring him in their reality. And so God is trying to figure out, through the book of Hosea, through the prophet Hosea, how to deal with this uh, walking away people. And we can see this deep challenge within, within God here, this deep pull to compassion, yet at the same time that frustration by their fickleness. So what I just want to invite us to see here is this, this tumultuous, these, these feelings that God has. And what this tells us is that we don't serve a God who just doesn't care. There's some ideas that God might be this kind of far-off being who sometimes interacts, a lot of times doesn't. This uh, to use the, the philosophy phrase, the unmoved mover. God is moved in this passage. God, God is heartbroken in this passage. And what hopefully that shows us is, is just how much God cares, but also how real God is and how much God can sympathize when perhaps we've been in those places before too. But it doesn't end there. Thankfully, we're still in chapter 1. Uh, and chapter 1 continues uh, in verse 10 and 11. And it starts with a yet. Good news. Yet the number of the people of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which can neither be measured nor numbered. And in the place where it was said of them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, children of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be gathered together, and they will choose one head. They will become fruitful in the land. The day will be a wonderful one, for Jezreel, again for Israel. And so, same verses together, just as soon as God kind of does this and kind of names these children and gives them these names and says, like, we're done, right? It's a way of saying, like, I'm just desperately trying to get your attention, Israel. I'm just desperately trying to get you to see what's happening here. Because what I want you to experience are all the blessings, the, the promise that they would be as numerous as the sand of the sea that they would have a God who cares for them, that they would uh, offer themselves to God in acts of service and in love to each other. And so what I hope that we're seeing here is this, this tension in God. I, I want to pause also, too, and mention the metaphor. Uh, as I kind of read different commentaries this week, some people made more or less out of Gomer. Now, in the story, Gomer is the prostitute that, that Hosea is sent to marry. And what is not clear in this passage is to what extent uh, Gomer's relationships, past, present, it's not really dealt with very much. What we see, for example, is that this doesn't serve as a mandate, maybe as some have thought it to be, of what relationships, how they might shake out. 
This isn't a mandate to leave or to stay in a relationship. We can't read that in the scripture. And this was never intended to be a shaming story of Gomer. We've talked about this several times, especially in the Old Testament. There's a lot of reasons then that someone would find themselves in the work of prostitution. And probably just like today, it wasn't a choice. It wasn't kind of a career goal that someone put down. If perhaps her original spouse died, because we don't know if that's true or not, then she would have very little opportunities as a woman to find any kind of life. And so the opportunities for a woman whose spouse had died were sit on the street and beg or prostitution. It very well could have been that. Or it could have been that she was in a relationship and um, she committed adultery. We don't know what that looked like or, or how that happened. If that happened, it's a little bit vague even in Hosea how that might have looked. And so what I want us to do is when we look at the story is to not allow it to be a shaming story of Gomer, either about her past or her present or her future, because we just don't know. And God's point in this story wasn't to shame her, but to use this as an example. And what we see in this actually is an example of how God can take someone whose life has been defined by society as an other, right? Her, her status has become other, not good enough to be a part of the community. And the sub-story in this is not only is the story of Israel redeemed, but her story becomes redeemed by God too. And so I want us to keep that piece in mind too as we look through this. I also want us to keep in mind that uh, what begins to happen in this passage is that their names are changed. And so <laughs> all of us parents who are thinking like, you can't let these kids grow up with that name. Like give them a nickname at least. What we see there in that last verse was that their names are changed too. And so where they began as no compassion, they are now named God's compassion. And where they were not my people, they are now my people. And so this becomes a story that is shocking to us, but also shows us the forgiveness and the redemption of God. It reminds us that despite what we have been named or how we have been labeled, uh, that God is always looking for ways to redeem that. And so what we're looking at in Hosea here is an invitation from God to the people to recognize their apathy and their indifference and to begin to shift back to a genuine worship of God, a genuine worship of God. And I want to skip ahead to chapter 4 because it defines for us that if we wonder, well, what does genuine worship look like for them? Now, again, this is kind of later on in the book, and uh, the book goes through this kind of, everything doesn't get fixed right away. <laughs> this is real life, right? In verse 4, it says, Hear the Lord's word, Hosea speaking, people of Israel. For the Lord has a dispute with the inhabitants of the land. There's no faithful love or loyalty and no knowledge of God in the land. And so what Hosea is showing us here is, is what worship looks like. And so the first part that we see here is he says there's no faithful love or loyalty. And we can begin to understand what that might look like. That God's orientation to the people was always defined by the word faithfulness. It comes up in many of our songs. It's there oftentimes in the Old Testament. It's one of the first ways that God introduced himself to them. He said, I will be faithful to you forever, for every generation. And what I ask of you is faithfulness to me. And so God has always defined the relationship between God and Israel, between us, as, as one of faithfulness. 
and one even when our faithfulness fails, that God's remains steadfast. A synonym for that would be, of course, loyalty. And so what we see throughout the Old Testament is a story how when the people forgot or when they gave up or when they got indifferent, or when they just decided they wanted to go a different way, God was always faithful no matter what. And basically what he's inviting them to do is to say, remember, remember. And so a lot of times when we define worship, we define it um, as very kind of, we sing some songs, we listen to a message, we gather, we pray, right? But another act that we kind of think about, if we think about the big picture of worship, worship is remembering God's faithfulness. Because as humans, we forget things, right? We forget important things all the time, whether it's a birthday or, I mean, an anniversary or those kind of things. We, we forget things that matter, right? And so it's not surprising to us or to them that they would forget all that God has done for them. Sometimes it's in the hardest times when we're going through the deepest, darkest moments. We, we forget. We don't remember what God has done for us. And so a lot of times the command of God is to remember. And we would see that in the New Testament when Jesus gathers them around a table and says, do this in remembrance of me. Because the most significant thing that happens is, is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes we forget that too. And so he says, every time that you gather around a table, use that as a way of triggering your memory, and that becomes an act of worship. So something as simple as offering a prayer before a meal becomes an act of worship and remembering, because we tend to forget. And that's one of the charges, is they've just forgotten, and he invites them to remember. The second part here, uh, there is no knowledge of God. Now, when, when we, re we read that, when I read that, I hear knowledge of God. There's no kind of book knowledge is what I tend to think about. And that's certainly probably in view. They'd forgotten some of the book knowledge. But it was more than that. And maybe you've heard this before, especially in kind of Genesis, what it means in the Bible to know someone. Has anybody ever heard that one before? That was popular back in youth group days, to know someone. Whenever the word in the Old Testament is, is so-and-so knew so-and-so, that means that they were related together intimately, that there was an intimacy of relationship physically. So, so that's, that's what it means to know someone. And that's the same thing that's in view. The Hebrew word here is yada, Y-A-D-A. An easy way to remember that is yoda, right? All know it. Okay. Uh, so yada of God. And so his charge to them was they didn't know him anymore. There was no knowing of God in the land. Now think again about the, the word plays that Hosea is doing. He's, Hosea is presenting to them this relationship based off of marrying someone who's in prostitution, right? And what that relationship, and he tells them that what they need to do is to know God again. So Hosea is pulling together all these metaphors that then, like now, would have caught him off guard. And he's hoping to, to jolt their souls into remembering who God is. And so the idea there of knowledge is, in those days, that might have been a way to say, I am married to, or I am partnered with someone, is I know them. And God wants to bring the relationship back to, I know them. I know them. And what I think that is reminding us is that for Israel, this way of adultery for them is not 
the knowing and the intimacy that God desires. And hopefully, if nothing else, what this reminds us is that it's not about the laws and doing everything right. It's not about presenting these faux facades. It's about a relationship. And this is good for us as New Testament people because sometimes we look at the Old Testament and it just doesn't make a lot of sense with Jesus. But right here, what we see is an invitation to relationship with God. Now, we phrase that as through Jesus Christ. And so that's the invitation for them, is an invitation back to faithfulness, to remembering, and to knowing God. And the way to get there shows up a little bit later in the book, and this will be, we read this as our our opening prayer this morning, this will be the way back for them. Uh, 10, 12, it's going to be kind of our, our central verse through these next couple of weeks. And Hosea tells them to sow for yourself righteousness and reap faithful love. Break up your unplanted ground, for it's the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. Now, this could be something that if you're a journaler or you use kind of a note on your phone, put that verse in your phone or in your journal and use that as kind of a guided way of engaging with the scriptures through the week. Because what Hosea is inviting us to do is to sow or to plant for ourselves righteousness, to put that into the ground of our lives. And what that will bring forth is faithful love. Again, the same love that God shows to us. It's a reminder to us that simplest of metaphor of we reap what we sow. And for churches, a lot of times that's taken different ways, and it's kind of nuanced here with this idea of if you know if you plant righteousness, we'll receive back love. This part sounds to me a lot like how Jesus would speak in the Gospels and in the parables of different types of soil, uh, and a soil that was hard and, and really just kind of sun-baked, couldn't receive any kind of seed. And so he speaks to them about a soil that has been tilled up and broken up and made ready. And we, we know this from our own adventures in gardening. It's hard to grow a lot in Florida, we'll be honest, but we can do something. We know that we've got to break up the soil first before we put seeds down. And so the invitation to us is to break up that unplanted ground, those places of indifference, those places in our lives where we feel apathetic. And what happens is that God will come and rain righteousness upon us. So I want to invite us with this passage to to ask the question of ourselves: how is it with our house of faith? The the graphic that I have for this series is is a nice little house facade, and if you saw it, it's kind of supported um, in the back. There's nothing behind it. And I think what Hosea is asking me and asking of us is how is our faith? Has it become a, a facade? Maybe not in an outright way. We talked about the difference between kind of love and hate and of course, indifference and apathy. And I think this book invites us to a tough question of, is there any faux faith within us? Are there any places where we're just kind of putting on a show? Maybe for others, maybe for ourselves, maybe for family or friends, or just to kind of give the impression of what our faith is. Maybe the truth is is that there's something happening in our life, and we're hurting and we're struggling, And the way that we're dealing with that is by putting up a facade in the front. That's a natural kind of human protection piece. And maybe that facade is there, but the question is, is what is God doing behind that? 
Maybe we need to leave that facade there for a while so God can do something behind it because we're hurting. Remember, Israel's issue wasn't that they weren't keeping the law. It was that they weren't keeping the relationship. And we know, because we've been in these, relationships have ups and relationships have downs. Relationships have seasons. And even relationships suffer from apathy. Even relationships suffer from adultery. We are not immune, even as the community of faith, from any of these things. And so what we oftentimes do is we tend as a community of faith, not just us, but the church in general, to be even less authentic about it than those who would not profess to be a Christian. Because we feel we've got to keep that Christian facade up and in front. And so Hosea's invitation to us is, you know, (laughs) we're not really fooling anybody, so just let the facade down. And that's hard for us to do. That's hard for me to do. We oftentimes use those things to mask it. And so for us, like Israel, the answer is found in part in returning to a genuine worship of God. The answer isn't try to like fix the facade to make it look a little bit better. <laughs> that's what I would probably do is like, oh, people know this is fake. Let me make it like more realistic. Now, Hosea calls us to just simply go back to genuine worship. That's something that we can do personally. Next week we'll talk about that's something that we do communally. We'll also talk about in the third week how that's something that we do in the way that we care for God's creation around us. And so what I want to offer us this morning are, are three, three ways from the book of Hosea that if we feel like there's something in our life where there is a facade or there's some hurt that we're trying to cover up, where we can move back to a place of genuine worship personally with God. Uh, And so I want to offer three things for you. The first one, as we see here, is to simply get real with someone you trust. And I use that word real intentionally to counteract the fakeness that that we feel we have to put on, the mask that we have to put on. So someone that you trust, uh, someone that uh, you know that you can talk to about these things. Because the church doesn't always do a great job with it, that can be a counselor. My favorite little billboard is you can have Jesus and a counselor too. That can be someone that you already have that kind of dynamic with, but it could also be a family member, a friend. It could be me as a pastor. If you don't have someone, I'd be happy to talk with you about that. But just tell someone, hey, I feel like I'm faking it, and here's why. The next thing that I want to encourage you to do is to tell God about your apathy. And that feels so counterintuitive. It felt counterintuitive as I typed it. Because sometimes the person we're we're pretending with the most is God. Like, maybe God won't know that I'm phoning it in. (laughs) I laugh because I do this sometimes. This is a natural human thing. We tend to hide from the one who knows us the best. Adam and Eve did it. They started it. We still do it. In your prayer time, in in a journal, in, in whatever way that you connect with God, just simply mention to God, you know, I'm feeling indifferent towards you. And I'm feeling apathetic. And know that God can handle that. In the same way in our own relationships, when someone finally comes to us and tells us how they're feeling, it can be hard and heartbreaking. But we're finally talking about the real stuff, right? A third thing I want to invite us to do is simply to find ways to remember God's faithfulness. I think one of the most helpful practices can be writing things down because then we have something to go back to. And maybe for you that's as easy as just keeping a note on your phone and just It's the same kind of idea as a gratitude journal, things that we're thankful for. 
Take some time if you're feeling apathetic, if you're feeling indifferent to God, and just kind of think back over the last months or years or your lifespan, because maybe you're in a tough season now, and jot down some of the ways that you've seen God's faithfulness over the years. It doesn't magically fix everything, but what it does is it reminds us that we serve a God who is faithful. And so maybe that helps us in this moment to understand that the season that we're in. And if this is a season for you where you feel like you're seeing God's faithfulness and, and answered prayers and blessings, and, it, and it's very easy to connect those things, make those notes today for the time later when the season changes and the rain comes. Right? Make those notes today. Keep those how you want. But, but there's three ways that are rooted in Hosea's call to Israel that we can acknowledge any apathy that Israel could begin to acknowledge apathy and begin to move to something different. Because what each of these things can do are like chapter 10, verse 12. These are the breaking up of the hard ground. These are the planting of new seeds. And God's rain will come in time, and it will begin to water and to nurture those, and in time, new life will spring forth from that. New relationship, restored relationship. So for as much as Hosea is seen as a book of, of more kind of doom and gloom of the prophets, don't miss the good news of God's desire to be in relationship to us. God doesn't care about the law things, about the facades, about the mask. God doesn't care about us pretending to be a great Christian. God simply cares about us and all of our mess. And to me, that's the greatest news of all. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.